Welcome to an episode of the Sports Genes Into the Lab podcast, where sports analysts and experts dissect the latest news from the NBA and NFL, giving you a unique view on some of the hottest topics around your favorite teams. From the fresh field smells of the NFL to the hardwood courts of the NBA and possibly your comfy couch for your fantasy football team. Let's see what kind of news the lab is working with today. Here's your host from the Sports Analytics Headquarters in San Antonio, Texas, Ernest Silva. Good morning and welcome to Into the Lab, our new Thursday morning slot. Excited to continue season two with our sports scientists here. We are live at the Lennox. This is episode 31 and I'm your host, Ernest Silva. Find me at the Sport Gene and powered by the Mothership Blue Collar Media Group. And we are back in the beautiful city of Boston, Massachusetts, the General Steve Reisner's very famous town. So we are fresh from the ESPN Sports Analytics Conference, and we are going to tackle some of the best information we got this weekend and share it with y'all like you were there. But let's first bring in our sports scientist for today's episode. From Pittsburgh, football, hockey, gambling writer for the Blue Collar Sports Network, Twitter handle at Steel Curtain PEH, the most interesting name in the world, Paul. What's up, fellas? Glad to be live, live from the Lennox here. So uh, let's have some fun tonight. And last on my left, from Boston, slightly biased, very own, and co-host of Smack Talk, Twitter handle at Reisner underscore Steven, the general Steve Reisner. What's going on, everybody? Happy to be live from the Lennox. General report for duty. Happy to have you on, Steve. So as we're getting used to the live mics and we're getting used to everything here with us, we are excited to be sharing this with you and going to uh, really be focused on the news that we've received here at the Sports Analytics Conference in Boston. Of course, special shout out to ESPN and Fox Sports for putting on their analysts that could give us a lot of content for today. Thank you very much. Only a, a round one episode for today. So one round for you guys coming straight to your ears. Hope you enjoy your Monday morning drive. And uh, as you can see, we'll have stories to share for years as this has been a very unique live setup. So we're excited. Let's get right into the action with round one. Round one, league news and updates. Starting with our top stories this week, let's start with the NFL. We're really going to dive into some of the biggest news topics. Austin Eckler getting his deal done with the Chargers, making him the number one guy. Let me go ahead and start with you, Steve. How do you feel about the Chargers getting their guy? I I think the Chargers got the better of the two running backs, to be honest with you guys. I, I think Melvin Gordon's going to get a bag somewhere. I think he's going to get overpaid. Like all these running backs do on the free agent market now is you get they get overpaid. I I think that's a good deal. It's twenty four and a half million, was it about six million dollars a year for Eckler? But you can still afford to go get another back. That I, I, I think that's a good deal for, for both sides in the equation. So is he gonna be the guy that they go to for 
an everyday, every down situation, or is he still that pass catching back? He's absolutely still more of a pass catching back, a, a scat back. Uh, but I, I think you're going to get a downhill runner now to go with him. I, I, you have the money. You can sign somebody to, to be a downhill runner. You, it, it, him, and, him and Gordon as a pairing didn't work because they're, the both same, they're the same type of runner. They're the same type of back. Split it up. Thunder Lightning. Now, Paul, when it comes to uh, this deal, is this going to push the Chargers the right direction? Do you think Austin Eckler fits that system? Or are we still waiting for the QB? Um, I think that they're going to go uh, more rely on that defense, the young core that they have there, and to go with the power running game uh, to try to hide a rookie quarterback. I imagine that's what they're going to do in the draft. Uh, I think they'll go quarterback there and try to build around him with the uh, young pieces they have on defense. And they'll have Eckler and, um, you know, another back to take the load off and try to do it that way. And when we're talking about load management, the first thing that comes to my mind is, okay, there's a CBA deal that has to get done. And we're going to really have to see what workload management is going to be there for these type of players. I know that's where I want to segue into, and I'm going to stick with you, Paul, on this. CBA deal is getting worked on. Where do you think is happening? And, and talk to us a little bit about what the deal was proposed. Yeah, so they want to go to 17 games. Um, they want to eliminate the drug testing. Uh, they are guaranteed 1% in this new deal. Um, with If the TV contracts work out how the owners think, it could be 1.5%. Uh, it still would be the lowest of all the sports. Um, the NFLPA has a vote on Tuesday for a new president, um, which could be an interesting monkey wrench in this whole works uh i i don't think that they will sign that i don't think the players will sign that cba but i also don't think that the owners are going to play cave on it um we even see reports today of an 18th game so um and there's some news that some owners want them to say no so um I, i'm just real interested to see i don't think i don't think it's going to play out good i don't think we're going to have labor Now, Steve, with the 18-game proposal, I mean, what makes sense for them to actually start an 18-game proposal? I, I don't even really know. I would, would we can work at an 18-game schedule. Um, it's really, I mean, that's think of like the low men's for the guys. The, the rest, you still are going to take away preseason games if you give them another two more regular season games. Uh, how big is your offseason too? Now you got to think about that. These guys only get so much time actually off i you're not even really in an off season right. when you're a professional athlete you have to stay in shape it you, that would that bumps the season by another at least two weeks it's already a long season 16 games is a long football season i i, I think 18 is too much and often it throws your record books off well that puts us almost to president's day right where super bowl would be president's day weekend I mean, that, that's always been a, a fantasy of most people, most sports heads like us, that, that you would get the Monday after Super Bowl off for free. Uh, um, you know, but in, in all that reality, they, they weren't down for 17 games. They're definitely not going to be down for 18. No way. And I completely agree with that take. I think what you really have to take from this as well is that generates a whole bunch of revenue. How is that revenue going to be split up? And then with an 18-game season, are we talking about two weeks that are going to be dedicated, one for a buy for the team and one for rest for star athletes that log so many minutes? 
is that going to be worked into the deal to have that agreement put in and we trim back two weeks from preseason? That makes sense for me. Um, and then I think another wrench into all of this is that the NFLPA is also electing their president on Tuesday. And that whole, there was a whole nother wrench. Do you have any updates on that, Paul? Um, no, we only had uh, Coon's name out there as a possible replacement. Um, but just to hit on a little bit of what Ernest said, um, and being at this conference, the analytics of, so are you going to work in the, the ticket prices, your stars missing one game? Because that's what you're basically asking fans now, and they're complaining about the preseason games, or that they don't get to see their stars and they cost just as much. So that would be a whole nother problem I think this would cause. Um, I, I've never been for the 17th game. Adding the extra playoff game, okay, you know, we all like playoff football, but you're also eliminating a bye for another team that way too. So I don't know. It'll be an interesting to see. Another piece I like to throw in this before I switch topics is that I really think some of these deals are a little bit reactionary to how well the XFL is doing and the fan base that they're gathering. If they go an extra two weeks and they push the season out, that bombards that XFL team uh, or league to be pushed in between that, the Super Bowl and the draft. And so now you're eliminating a competitor from having a full season or having to wait till the summer where you're now competing with baseball and basketball. And so that's that's maybe a, a competition drive for them. And so just keep that in mind as we move forward. Let's talk about three players that are really getting big right now in the media. And one of them, not so much known as the other two, because they're quarterbacks that we've been talking about for a while. But Trent Williams, finally, big news this week is that he is on the market. He's been working out. We had some workout videos for him. Steve, where do you see Trent Williams fitting? And, does, and has any team really emerged as a front runner? At this point, I can't say that anyone's uh, exactly emerges as a front runner for Trent Williams because it's been early, but I, I can see him fitting somewhere. I think he got the shit end of the stick in Washington. I think that's a horribly run organization that will never go anywhere at all until Dan Snyder is out of the picture. That's, uh, that's as far as I see the Redskins. Even with Rivera, the coaching changes, I, they're going to find a way to fuck it up. That's what they do. It's the Washington Redskins. Sorry. Not to sound racist. Yeah. Uh, but Williams, I, I, I can see him fitting I, as long as he's still healthy and he looks healthy in these workout videos. Of course, it's a workout video. And they're going to look that way. I, I could see him fitting almost anywhere. Before this whole shit show in Washington, he, there's a reason he got paid the way he did. He was one of the best left tackles in the game. And left tackles, a good left tackle is real hard to come by. Yep. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree there. Um, I honestly think somebody like Cleveland or Cincinnati, somebody with a young franchise quarterback that needs line help is, you know, you have cap room and space, especially someplace like Cincinnati. Um, I don't know. I would imagine Trent Williams is going to pick his deal. And I don't know if he would want to go into that situation, but, uh, you know, some team with a young quarterback that needs protection or that he needs to and I'm going to go the opposite of that. And I think somebody that's an old quarterback needs that protection. Yeah. And somebody we're going to talk about in just a second, I think is going to have a big factor in that, which is going to be good old Tom. Well, let's just segue to that there. And Tom Brady at the Sports Analytics Conference, several panels were asked, where is Tom Brady going to end up? And several t panels did not say New England. And so that's a big topic. Of course, we're going to go to the General Steve Reiser last. I want to hear his topic last. But let me kind of give my take on this. So, so Tom Brady has been rumored to several teams, including Tennessee, Los, An Las Vegas Raiders, um, the uh, 
Los Angeles Rams now are now getting put into the table by a random sports analyst from ESPN. Um, a, a couple of a couple of other teams, but mostly those. And then, of course, the Patriots said they're offering 30 mil. So if we're going to be talking about Tom Brady, where he best fits, and if a Trent Williams came there and also looked to pass protect for him, I feel like those go kind of hand in hand. My latest take, though, has been seen that Antonio Brown is linked to Tom Brady. Where Brady goes, Brown goes as well. A um, lot of smoke with that rumor coming out. They have been following each other, talking to each other, not only on social media, but behind the scenes. Some place, some people really close to the source have been really open about that relationship. So if that is a, um, and I set this off, off of the air, but I'm going to say it on the air. This is a Tebow Hernandez type of relationship where one is taking care of the other. Either way, and they reap the benefit off each other's talents. Paul, I'm going to start with you on this. What the combination of Williams, Brown, Brady going to a team does that make anybody a contender or are there other stipulations? Oh, there's other stipulations. Uh, I, I think that uh, Tom Brady, he, I mean, any, anytime you do the same job for 20 years, and no matter how good you were at that job, even if it's the same job in another company, there's always different processes, different you know, ways of doing it, different languages that they speak. Um, not that Tom Brady would be lost, but his main problem last year was is he wasn't with the receivers so now he's going to be a year old in a different city different coordinator different head coach not on the same page with a bunch of receivers um i honestly believe that he will be back in boston this just makes sense for both of them uh to do it uh i, I don't see him wanting to live in las vegas with a family and wife and kids and all that um Los Angeles, I, I don't know why you would put yourself in that kind of situation. I would think anywhere he wants to go, he has a two-year window to win a championship. So wherever he goes has to be ready-made right now and just a quarterback away, sort of like a Brett Favre situation. So I, I don't really see that. Someplace like Indianapolis is in a better better spot, but could still – I mean, you still have guys in your own division, you know, Deshaun Watson, and then you got – Holmes, you have to get through. So I, I don't think it's just ready-made that Brady goes somewhere and they win. And those are great takes. And, and so let, let's kind of talk to the resident Bostonian here, right? Because we're going to talk about if Tom stays, is that a winning combination with this team since you have a tangible team to talk about? Does that make the Patriots back into contention? Because obviously last year, Lost in the wild card, not what they wanted. But does that put you guys into contention with that defense and that lineup? Uh, absolutely, it does. Even if it's the same roster as last year, if you have Tom Brady as that quarterback, you're still 100% a contender. Tom Brady's a contender when he's in the NFL. That's uh, That can't be up for dispute anymore. If you don't think he's the GOAT, stop talking sports. You're not qualified. Uh, well, I, yeah, you still need help. That, that team last year offensively, you could see it against Tennessee uh, – they just didn't have that extra juice. They they needed that extra firepower. Not it really. If you watch the Patriots last year, did they need that much firepower? Did they? It's not like they needed a a slew of wide receivers out there. You just needed something more than a, an injured thirty three year old five eleven white guy ex quarterback from Kent State as your best receiver. Who's uh, gonna have to get multiple surgeries after the season? Right? You needed more than that. That 
that's that's really all it was. And that's, you know, like you said about the familiarity. Everyone's talking to people who tell me that Brady wants to go play in Tennessee because, you know, it's Mike Vrabel and because they got A.J. Brown. Well, in New England, we have Bill Belichick, Josh McDaniels, Bob Kraft, Julian Edelman. James White, the guy who had 14 catches in Brady's, one of Brady's most iconic moments in, in that Super Bowl against Atlanta. I think James White and Julian Edelman cancels out A.J. Brown and um, John U. Smith. Uh, if you're going to talk about Tennessee or even Vegas, what are those weapons on? So he's not going to be familiar. These are all young guys who don't know systems the way Brady knows systems. It's... I, I see him back in New England. Yeah, I just think the selling of Derrick Henry being back there, a, a, depend, a stingy defense as well, still in Tennessee, that kind of rhymes. Uh, but another team he has been linked to are the Dallas Cowboys, all right, which is not a crazy take, especially if um, you add Des Bryant to that equation. I know that's far-fetched, but, but let's switch gears to Dallas. Dallas Cowboys, again, my team that we usually follow, offered Dak the $33 million a year, $105 million overall deal. Um, no report other than he's contemplating it, which for a lot of analysts would think that is more than generous for a deal other than Stephen A. Smith, who probably thinks he should get $40 because he deserves it. That's according to Stephen A. Smith. Not going to take the words from him. Right. But Dak Prescott is a very good quarterback, led the league in passing yards. He is, um, he is a field general, in my opinion. I just think he's a, a game manipulator when it comes to um, being able to control the clock and be able to call a play and call an audible when it's needed. Does he audible to the run a lot? Yes. Um, does he audible to the pass when he shouldn't? There are times. That's why we weren't in the playoffs last year. So you have to think, yes, Dak is young, right? He's coming off of his rookie contract. He has a ton of potential. Um, Tom Brady has given him high regards. Drew Brees has given him high regards. Many great quarterbacks have given high regards. So tell me, guys, is Dak Prescott worth $33 million a year? Should he take that deal? So a two-pronged question. And then to piggyback on that, do the Cowboys move on from him if he declines this deal? I, I think he should take it. I don't, I don't see how much how you can think you're going to get much more than $33 million a year for four years. Uh, promise he does have the leverage on the Cowboys right now because if you don't have a quarterback set in place, well, then hiring Mike McCarthy as your head coach was a complete waste of time because you have to give Mike McCarthy a quarterback. So that's, yeah, that's why I think Dallas is, is going to go after him, go after him hard, even though I still think it, before you hand this kind of money out to the guy, maybe you want to see how he works with McCarthy for a season. It may, Maybe... Maybe they don't work together. But then again, who would Jerry choose in that situation? They'd have to take a shower and have a sleepover. Yeah. And, you know, it'd really be whoever comes out on top after that. Okay. Uh, but I, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know if he'll take it because there's the rumors that he wants 40. I don't. I think he might play hardball on, on this first one. I think he might play hardball on this first four-year $33 million and, and and maybe try to get it up to 35 Well, I think just like you, I think it's a good deal uh, for both teams, actually, both ways for the team and for him. Uh, Zeke's what he's on the, about that same four year window that would give them enough to sign Amari to about a four year window. Uh, the defense is pretty much locked up for that four year window. So if you lock him in for that four years, that's that's your Super Bowl chance. That's yeah. the next four years. You have to win one. 
or it's blowout time. So, um, just like Steve said, you had to know what the number was going to be before you signed McCarthy. Um, there's reports out there this week that Ryan Tannehill, Ryan fucking Tannehill, wants $30 million. So, you know what I mean? Like, it, $33 million is the going rate <laughs> for quarterbacks now. Like, and I'm not, uh, like, an overbeliever in Dak, but Dak Prescott could definitely win a Super Bowl with the pieces around him and, uh, you know, a defensive effort. He could definitely... He could definitely win a Super Bowl. So when you're talking about Carson Wentz got, what, 32? So you put 33 into him. I was just going to say, what's golf got? 31 or 32? 30, 30, yeah. I mean, so that that's just is. This is Dak's contract. So so whatever Dak sets, then the next guy will set. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, so he's not going to get what Russ got. Russ, Russ won a Super Bowl. He's been to another one. Um, he's not going to get what Russ got, but he's right below there. So 33 is fair to me. Yeah, if you really crunch the numbers, Russ at 36, he's not. He shouldn't be close to that. Right. At 33 is close enough, I think. I think yeah. he should be right around Carson. Is I mean, yes. both of them have won the division. Neither of them led to a Super Bowl run, and both came up short. Um, and we all know that Patrick Mahomes is going to be the first 40 million dollar quarterback. So I think we are all in agreement in that. Um, but when it comes to Dak Prescott, I, I'm a firm believer he can lead the team to the Super Bowl. But I'm not. I'm not crazy. I'm not going to think that he's the best quarterback in the world. I'm logical about it, right? And so Dak needs to be as well when this comes to push to sho- shove because you don't shove Jerry Jones. We've seen plenty of players try to shove Jerry Jones back, and Jerry don't take that shit. He will push back and really say, okay, well, how much is Phillip Rivers going to cost me this offseason? How much is Ryan Tannehill going to be? Oh, that's an extra $3 million I can save on the cap? Maybe I can get Byron Jones to to take a cut then and get Amari to a satisfied deal and run with Jameis Winston at the helm. I mean, who knows who Mike McCarthy can make look like a stud back there. And so you, there are a lot of quarterbacks that can make moves, especially if Tom is moving. Derek Carr becomes available if he Derek, if Tom went to uh, Las, the Las Vegas Raiders. So a lot of names out there and Jerry can throw that right back at him. So as much power as Dak has, you don't fuck with Jerry, right? And so let's move to the NBA. Let's talk about the NBA. Let that stew a little bit and talk about some of the latest headlines. Uh, one headline that we're not going to touch too much on, but I want to highlight is that Giannis Antetokounmpo did get testing and MRI done on his knee as a precautionary measure for his fall when he played against the Lakers in their 113-103 loss last, uh, last night. Um, that could have been a potential NBA Finals preview. We're not pushing that on this podcast. I don't think it's one of those. And um, when it comes to uh, another headline, another knucklehead that's talking is Draymond Green. So I thought we weren't going to be talking about the Warriors at all in this show this year. But of course, Draymond Green decided to open his mouth in regards to Sir Charles Barkley. Uh, regarding to him as a person that needs to really shut his trap because he hasn't won an NBA championship ring. I have very strong feelings to that because I'm connected to Charles Barkley through the Houston Rockets. I'm going to say my sentiments last. I want to start with you, the general Steve Reisner. Talk to me about what your feelings are about Draymond's uh, criticism of Charles Barkley. So I saw a stat earlier. Um, Draymond Green's best season, 14 points a game and nine rebounds a game. You know what Charles Barkley's worst season average was I think 15 points a game and 10 rebounds a game that Charles Barkley was a phenomenal phenomenal basketball player in his prime if you didn't get to see Charles playing his prime if you didn't get to see Sir Charles 
Just go look up the highlights. You have to sign in on YouTube and verify your age to watch these highlights because the guy's a bully. If I, he did go crazy and start punching people near the end of his career, but yeah. that's, that's I liked when people do that. Like, he was he was absolutely unbelievable with his size, behind the back handles and passes, draining threes, flying through the air. It was a big man. He, let's Dr- Draymond Green. Yeah, it's okay, okay. Sure, he's got the rings, and I that kills me because rings are so important man i i'm a big ring guy obviously i love rings i'm from boston big big championship town but i i don't know man that's like trent dilfer saying that dan marino can't talk to him because trent dilfer got a ring and dan marino don't it it's like trent dilfer saying he can sit at the same table as drew Brees because he got the same amount of rings as drew Brees. it's not I mean, Dray- Draymond Green. I mean, Draymond Green was never an MVP. He's never going to be an MVP. Not ever going to. Those Warriors teams don't go to the finals just because they have Draymond Green. The Suns in the '90s do not meet MJ in the finals if they don't have Charles Barkley. Right. Agree. No. Agree. What about you, Paul? <laughs> yeah, um, I'm. I'm more of the opposite with Steve on this. Like, okay, so Charles doesn't have a ring, but Charles never cost his team a ring either. His childish behavior on the court cost them a championship (laughs) because I don't care what anybody says. I'm a firm believer in if he doesn't go out, they never, the Cavs never make that come. The Warriors finish that thing out and it's over. Um, he just can never stay out of the headlines. I mean, if, of, of all years, this year should have been Draymond, keep your head down. We're playing for next year. You're sitting out 40-some games, right? I mean, he set out like 30-some games this year already, right? Yeah. So I don't remember Charles ever doing stuff like that. Um, it's another problem with the YouTube generation and, and Twitter like us. Like, a lot of these kids think that Draymond Green is the end-all, beat-all. You haven't even seen Charles. Like, yeah. go back and actually watch this man. Like, you think Zion's amazing right now? Charles was doing yeah. the same thing 20 years ago. He was a big, big man that could move and get up like that. And you just think of him as the crazy golf swing guy or the gambling guy or the, you know what I mean? And, you know, no, Charles was Zion. Just go back and look at it. Better than Zion, actually. He had more talent than Zion. I, I don't never seen Zion do a behind the back pass. I, I don't think we will. Not gonna see him doing handles like Charles did. I won't. I won't make that take happen. I will. I will say that I, that Charles Barkley is a different era of basketball, right? There was, you know, before the separation rule, he would really kind of guide, guide the whole possession. I mean, he led possession and dribbles um, as a big guy. He he. He was not the biggest guy on the court, yet he demanded the most attention. And that by itself would show how he would lead his Phoenix Suns. I mean, he was the alpha, the 1A on the Phoenix Suns. And he just chased a ring at the end, which is why he made his move. Um, Although there's some animosity between him and the Houston Rockets franchise for some things that he says he didn't get paid for, whatever it may be. And I'm, I'm okay with what Draymond's saying on the ring side for a minute. I'm okay with him saying, look, you didn't prove it. You didn't win the ring. But here's where, where Draymond goes off. You can't disrespect the game Charles Barkley had because he didn't have a ring. All right, number one. You can say, I deserve to be praised as an all-time. Give me some respect. I have the rings. 
period. You don't have to go chase and and, and talk about another man's accomplishments. Yeah. Then he digs at Charles saying, be careful because I'll take your job next. And you just don't do that. You, just as a man, as a principal, as a person, let's not say a man, but as a person, you don't do that. And so that's where I call Draymond, okay, shut up. At that point, shut up. Because you're disrespecting somebody who's an all-time great. Now, Charles has some terrible takes on players like Harden. He has some terrible takes on players like Westbrook, just because I'm, I'm just using the Houston Rockets as an example. But I will respect the man because he brings a different aspect of the game. You don't have to, re- you don't have to agree with everybody to, under- to respect everybody. And so that's my take on the Draymond incident. Let's talk about um, Kenny Atkinson for a minute because, wow, big news this morning. I mean, I think we're all blown away. I think actions here but but i mean like what in the hell happened in brooklyn and and apparently this was yesterday so um kenny atkinson out as head coach if you haven't heard i'd be surprised if bernie sanders joe biden thing is happening with you and you just are out of the loop with the nba i get it it's a, it's it's a voting day but if if you have not heard kenny atkinson is out which is one of the main drivers to why Kyrie and KD even went to brooklyn so those are big takes we're going to talk about let me start with the general steve reisner and his immediate reactions to what he heard coming out of Brooklyn. I, I haven't heard anything coming out of Brooklyn, per se. Believe it or not, the people in Brooklyn don't really uh, communicate with me as, as far as sports sources go. We have to talk to code for real sources in Brooklyn. Uh, but uh, the first thing that came to my mind, man, is so Kyrie Irving now has nine seasons in the NBA, seven head coaches. In nine seasons, seven head coaches. There's a guy with in the finals and won a ring. I, you shouldn't be going through head coaches like that. He forced his way out of Cleveland. He completely forced his way out of Cleveland. Guys way into Boston. Boston was the best situation. I love Boston. He's going to get his jersey hanging on the roughest for his dad. He did the commercial. He loved it, and then he decided that he hated it because he's a bipolar little bitch. And, I, you know, I mean, I, well, so how do you think this went? Do you think... I saw someone say, uh, what did Kenny Atkinson, uh, uh, Kyrie Irving, uh, to Plymouth, do we land on Plymouth Rock? And Plymouth Rock land us, us. I don't know, Kyrie, just hop on the team playing. Shit, well, that's interesting. Yo, KD, how you feel about, how you feel about Kenny? Man, I think you've been suppressing my personality. I, I don't really know. Hey, let's get Dinwiddie and Karras out of here, too. They, he likes him. Yeah. <laughs> That's that's what's happening. I'm sorry. That's what's happening. The superstars are taking that team over. Paul, I'm going to go over to you next about Kenny. I, I I love the guy. I thought he was a fantastic coach from last season's run. Talk to me a little bit about the Brooklyn news. Well, that's what I mean. I thought that they were building around him being the guy to bring these all all these guys together to to mesh a playoff team that he pulled out of nowhere last year into exactly. a unit. And, I mean, he's even doing it this year. Really, Kyrie hasn't really even really played for them, really. Um, and I, I was absolutely stunned at this news this morning. I, and somebody like KD that haven't spoke on it all day either is, is kind of weird. Um, I thought that was a major reason why he decided, like part of the reason, major reason that he decided to go to the Nets was because of Kenny. So... I'm kind of lost as to why he hasn't come out and spoke about this today at all. Honestly, at the conference, I thought KD might make an appearance on the boardroom segment since that's, 
you know, partly his show and, and what he like when he likes to come out and make those hot takes. He did not appear. And for those at the conference, if you are following today for the first time, you know, we're kind of disappointed by that. I know Jalen Brown showed up, which was fantastic. We got to hear his story a little bit. Um, but but KD not showing up, I think this news had a big deal to do about it and and why um, uh, he wasn't there. But Kenny Atkinson it was a man of the people. He was the player's coach, which is a big piece of what they were trying to build in Brooklyn and why they had the upper hand, I mean, apart from James Dolan, over the Knicks of where they, Katie and Kyrie were going to play. So um, that's shocking. Uh, one last piece from the NBA, going to the head-to-head MVP clash. Um, come on if you don't agree, but can we agree that LeBron passed Giannis for MVP for this season? After last night, yeah, for right now, I give it LeBron, but you need to see. You can't give him the MVP yet. Right? Now, LeBron's. Here's something. I have to make this clear. LeBron has played great basketball this year. He is that team. Uh, Davis has better stats. It's LeBron's team. Yes, LeBron's in the MVP conversation, but anybody who tries to tell me that LeBron deserves the MVP because of the Kobe tragedy. And him helping the Lakers stay together. Shut the fuck up. I, I'm tired of hearing that when I, ha- I had to get that out there. It has nothing to do with Kobe Bryant. Do not make it about Kobe Bryant. I think it's more on how these two teams finish out the year. Especially with the Giannis injury now. So, the Bucks have such a big lead out there. I mean, do we really... Even if it's just a minor tweak. I mean, does he miss a couple weeks? Um... That's what I'm kind of interested to see. I mean, if he misses a bunch of time and Braun keeps putting up almost triple-double numbers, I think you just have to. But I do think that if Giannis comes back and he's the same Giannis, that that one game doesn't affect my. Uh, there's been years where LeBron should have won it, and he didn't. Maybe this would be a year where maybe he didn't. Uh, that MVP is always. I don't know. It's a, it's a, a popularity call. And at some point, you know, him being a Laker is going to play in. So we'll we'll see how it goes. Yeah, I, I I enjoyed seeing some of those highlights where we're saying, okay, you know, LeBron now takes over and Giannis is now second place. And then watching Giannis and his brother get upset with that fan yesterday. Um, context, somebody translated the argument um, and stated that they were talking to him in Greece and talking about, hey, did you like taking that tonight? Basically saying, like, you got stuck it to you tonight. Way to go. And he took that offensively because it was somebody speaking um, his native language. Somebody that was uh, attacking him and his brother stepped in to, you know, basically defend Giannis. Giannis went over and says, hey, to his face, that type of thing. And so that got intense. But that's just a bad look for Giannis, especially with some of the criticism that he was taking with Harden. Um, just some bad uh, media advice for him. A lot of good things trending for LeBron. I'm all about bias. One last thing, talking about analytics and talking about age. I want to talk about the age factor because as players get older in the league, I like to add a weighted percentage value to metrics because as they get older, you add a 0.15 multiplier to it and you kind of multiply those metrics up just to see how brilliant they're actually playing. And LeBron would be playing at a very heightened MVP level for his age. And so um, I think this might be one of those that he does deserve um, maybe not outright if you just look at it without that factor, but I like to add that factor when I'm calculating um, those statistics. So as players get older and play at an elite level, um, that's where I have LeBron. Um, and so 
with that, we'll segue to our analytics conference, and we're going to do, like our new segment from last time, Starter or Ride the Bench. We're going to have 10 topics about starting or ride the bench, and tell me if you agree with these topics and what you add to it. So we're going to see if this uh, story is going to continue throughout the year, if it's going to fizzle out. So Starter Ride the Bench, Sports Analytics Conference Edition. All right, here we go. First hot take, LeBron James, the best player GM of all time. I am going to start that, and I'm going to say I think he's been brilliant as a player GM, not only orchestrating the front office to his needs, but also orchestrating the team that values around his own talent. But let me go over to the general. Talk to me a little bit about what you think about LeBron James being the best player GM of all time. How much competition does he really have? Because how many guys have really spent their entire career just showing up in teams and being like, oh, hey, by the way, I'm in charge now. You guys, you guys, you guys wear that. I'm in charge. I make the decisions. I mean, it took Frank Vogel a couple months, I think, to realize in L.A. that LeBron James was officially in charge of the Lakers. So I don't, I don't know how many which competition he really has. But it, so yeah, sure, I'll start it. Yeah, I'm definitely going to start it. Uh, you know, he orchestrated big contracts for his buddies. Uh, you know, Tristan Thompson. I mean. You know, these guys got paid because he said to pay them. Uh, that's basically how that worked. Uh, and he's a franchise changer. I mean, whether you like it or not, when he won a championship for Cleveland, nobody thought it was even possible. So, you know, that changed that city. You know, then he went to Miami, put together a team down there pretty much, him and D. Wade. And then he went out to L.A. and pretty much orchestrated the entire roster off of the Lakers to get A.D. So that's where, uh, I mean, I agree. Starter. So we were watching the segment of player empowerment. It featured ESPN, Stephen A. Smith, the ESPN analyst and former player, Kendrick Perkins, as well as part uh, franchise owner, Michael Rubin for the Philadelphia 76ers. And we were getting some hot takes of what was happening. And this is going to lead to our next starter right the bench, which is going to be all about Kevin Durant. Um, there was some little shots fired at Kevin Durant in that segment, but we were finding out together that he knew he was leaving OKC after that 3-1 uh, series loss. Um, he said, I am moving. I am going to Golden State. Now, reports before had always said, you know, it took time, that he had to listen to all teams. But apparently players, cl people close to him, as well as some of the media who did call him out on it, knew after that series was over, he was going to Golden State that night, he even knew. So let's talk about that a little bit. I'm going to start with you, Paul. How do you feel about uh, Kevin Durant leaving OKC the night of? Is this going to blow up? Is this a start, or are you going to ride the bench? Oh, I'm starting this. This is this is crazy. Uh, the, the best thing to come out of this, honestly. Um, it, it, it throws all the collusion, all the stuff about, oh, you know, we don't talk to each other, and you know, this is all, you know, yeah, everybody's got a shot. Nobody, nobody had a shot there. He was done, decided, I mean, a few months before the season was even over. I mean, it, this was done and done and decided. Um, I also think we're seeing that right now with your, just how Kevin Durant, you know, another thing that came out here was that he felt like OKC uh, suppressed him as a player and as a person. And I think we're seeing the same exact thing happening with Giannis. And last night in L.A. was just a little hint of the frustration that you see in Giannis for 
always having the pressure of being the guy in a small market and knowing that probably at the end of the day that is another team with a few more stars is going to beat you and knock you out. So I definitely believe this is going to – I definitely believe this is a starter. This was one of the best things I heard all yeah, I stopped that immediately, and I don't put that. I I, ne- I never take that out of the game right there. That that's blowing up. I that is. I always thought it was a bit of a snake move by KD to to jump ship and go to Golden State like that. That that report. I. I mean, that's that's awful. That's all. That is a that's a snake in the grass move. I mean, that's not even a report. I mean, that's yeah, much yeah, that's like out. that's like a fact. Yeah. And uh, you you brought up, I'll, I'll let you talk about the, the Kendrick Perkins um, part of that with his contract and whatnot. That it's just bad. Yeah, I I, I stop. Yeah, and and the the contract part is that Kendrick Perkins did have his contract there with OKC. It was a four year, forty four million dollar deal. He was going to stay with OKC, um, and he opted into that contract instead of waiting through the summer. Now, of course, it was his personal decision not to wait for a bigger contract, maybe from another team, depending how they would finish the year because he had come back from that uh, knee surgery. Um, but he stuck there because he thought they had building something. Left Boston, came to OKC. Big reason was KD and Westbrook and that core, and then it blew up from there starting with KD making that move and KD personally felt like it was needed to tell Kendrick Perkins that I am leaving and and Kendrick was was honest and and I appreciate that but I thought it was real eye-opening because a lot of people will forget how that all went down you think it's just swept under the rug but it was the first thing we talked about was holy crap I didn't know that and a lot of people don't and it's still not talked about today so um he went from being golden boy uh Seattle Last drafted Seattle superstar to moving to OKC being their savior and then now villain at Golden State. And now he felt suppressed at Golden State again. And now he's going to Brooklyn. And I think that really speaks to a trend we're now seeing that if it doesn't work out in Brooklyn with Flat Earth Kyrie and he's not feeling like he can be himself, where is he going to end up next? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start that all day. Um, let's move to our third hot take, which was brought up by Stephen A. Smith. And he stated that he's heard from inner circles that if Giannis Antetokounmpo does not make it to the finals, the NBA finals, not the Eastern Conference finals, but the NBA finals, he is out of Milwaukee in free agency this summer. So let's talk, he'll opt out and go to free agency this summer. Let's talk about that take. And Steve, I'm going to start with you. It's your conference. Um, What do you think about Giannis? Does that have a lot of ground? Start it or let it right the bench? Absolutely, you stop that. Especially, like you guys said, you could see it last night uh, in Giannis. Here's a reason, here's probably a reason why him and his brothers overreacted to that comment made in Greece. I, I mean, he's a professional athlete. Yeah, you get stuff annoys you, but you're a professional athlete. You should be useless by now. You're not always going to flip out about that. But he's probably a little pissed off because this, this is what's going to happen. I don't think it's even just if they don't make the NBA Finals. If they, if they get bounced in the and he's gone finals again. There's absolutely no shot he returns to Milwaukee. But even if they make it to the finals and they lose, you might see him move on because he might end up in the finals and just he meets LA in the finals. He's probably going to get outgunned. Yeah, I already said my take before. I'm definitely starting this. Uh, you know, I, you can just see a little bit of his personality and a little bit of what he wants. He wants a lot of things out of this league right now. He wants to play with his brothers. We've talked about many times. Uh, 
um, you know, and that could be a, a factor in this. And honestly, he wants a ring. He wants a championship. He wants to stamp it that he is one of the elites. And he grew up in the LeBron James, you know, as the hero guy. And that's what LeBron has brought to these guys is, is no, you can control it. You don't have to be beholden to a team. You can sign two years with one op out, you know, all the time and just control yourself. And I think we're going to start seeing that more and more with players on his level. So I'm starting it. I'm definitely starting it. I, I trust Stephen A. Stor- Stephen A. Smith's st- sources, especially after his uh, initial articles on KD were actually proven to be true now, when we always were 50-50 on that, and maybe it was a personal vendetta. Um, I am now all about that story. I've been telling people since the, be- the beginning of this year that if Giannis didn't win, he wants to go play with his brothers. He wants to be big market. Uh, it just proves to Milwaukee that they're going to have to do something really big this year to keep him. Um, and so I even say if they make the finals and let's say they get a gentleman sweeper swept, he's gone. I think it's that, I think it's that important that, that the bucks make the finals, make a serious competitive run, a six, seven game series or win it because, um, Giannis is, I, I think on that verge of, let me go be another big three or let me go somewhere. And, um, I'll put a hot take out there right now. All you people who hate the warriors. Now you may be hating the Warriors very much. After this offseason, if they were to generate a top pick, a top one, two, or three pick, and they have the assets to get a Giannis. So more to come on that. We're all starting that one. Let's talk about Philadelphia. So the fourth hot take is around Michael Rubin. He had the take that there is no drama or beef between Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. He said, if you hear anything or have any comments on that, you've heard a couple of things from even our show, that that is a bogus take, a bunch of hot air. So. Started to write the bench. I'll start with this one. I'm writing the bench 100%. I'm not going to give a long take on this one. I just want to say there's obviously some turmoil in Philly, or it wouldn't be such a hot take everywhere. There wouldn't be so much smoke coming out of that locker room. Al Horford would have never addressed the media. I mean, obviously, there's something going on. As an owner, I felt he was obligated to say that on this panel. But let me start with you, Paul. How do you feel? Well, and another thing that came out of that was is they asked him point blank if you had Simmons or Embiid. <laughs> he answered Embiid, like, immediately, correct? <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Like, we, he hasn't thought about it, but he does have an immediate <laughs> answer. But he does. Yeah, so he has an immediate answer. So, you know what I mean? Like, I'm definitely riding the bench on this. Like, you don't think as an owner that, oh, hey, if I have to choose between my two sons, well, I'm just going to throw this one out the door. You know, he's my favorite. So um, definitely no, ride the bench for sure. I'm going to stand up and demonstrate that I'm sitting my ass right down on the bench for this one. Because all good there, buddy. But buddy, 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 and beat in Simmons. No, no, because first of all, one, they hamper each other's play style. I do not think the two of them can work together. Unless Simmons can develop a shot, which about three years in the league, he's only hit about, what, three or four three-point shots. I think he's pretty much missed his, missed his window on that one. I, and, you know, like you – so you said I had said about, you know, there's the on-court troubles. So yeah, they have to work out. Well, you know what? I played sports competitively. I'm not going to say – I wasn't an all-star. I wasn't, a, wasn't in the pros. But when you're having that much – 
on-court trouble, that becomes an off-the-court problem. There's no, there's absolutely no way that you hate each other all day when you're playing on the court, and then you leave the game. You're like, hey man, you want to go get a bar? You want to go get a beer? Let's hang out. It's ride, ride the bench. That's stupid. Yeah, so three right the bench on that one. I mean, that that was the end of that panel that we're going to focus on. Just a lot of hot takes with some very key analysts. And so let's switch gears. Let's talk about the careers after sports panel that we really enjoyed. Um, shout out to Andy Roddick. Appreciate you supporting the show and appreciate you retweeting us as we were following along. Thank you so much, Andy. Um, but Malice at the Palace ruined Meta World Peace's career was a hot topic. He talked about that. He was worried. Now, um, let me preface preface that before I ask you guys, because he did have a 19-year career. He did travel. He made a ton of money. He's invested in a lot of businesses. He said that when he left, he was very worried. He wasn't sure what he was going to do with his life. He applied for a school to go study uh, business and 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 start you know computer science. He wasn't sure what he wanted to get into. He just knew he had to do something. And so um, the, his term was, though, is that the Malice of the Palace really ruined a lot of sponsorship deals. What could have been a, a superstar uh, player, he ended up being a role player because of it ruined his career overall. So do we feel that the Malice of the Palace ruined Meta World Peace's career? I'll start with you, Paul. Um, I don't think it ruined his career. I don't think he could have been not 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 at the level of you know huge endorsements or anything like that. You know where program. I don't think that was. Um, it was an unfortunate incident for everybody. I mean the NBA. You know him, Pistons. I mean everybody. Um, you know, it changed how we watch sports, how, you know, people interact, you know, at the events. Um, I just feel like he went on, his personality ended up hurting him as well. Like his switching his name and then, you know, to something like Meta World, like, you know what I mean? Like, legitimate companies are going to put you out there as a face. They're, you know, organization when you're, you know, changing your name. You're, you, you you were the guy that went up to the stands, and now all of a sudden, you, you know, peace. It it it, it doesn't jive with a lot of business people, and it closes. A lot so, um, I will sit the fact that it it cost him like everything. It didn't cost him everything. It it it, it just delayed some of. The Yeah, I, I guess I'll ride the bench like you on that one. I do have to say, I, I am not going to refer to him as Meta World right. Peace. I'm not doing that. His name was Ron Artest. Yeah. He is the guy that went into the crowd and tried to beat up fans in Malice of the Palace, which right after we finish this, I think we should watch Malice of the Palace video again right. because it's really, it's really a good time watching that. Yeah. But, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think he was really in line for a bunch of huge endorsements or anything like that. He was... He was a good player. He, he he probably could have been more if I'm sure that screwed th- some things up. But I, I mean, hell, look, I, one thing that I think it changed for him is I think he changed his name to Meta World Peace to try to get people to forget that he was the Malice at the Palace guy. 
Uh, I think it ruined his career. So I'm going to start this one um, for a number of reasons, right? He could never be the chunky noodle soups guy, right? Because it's family oriented. He couldn't be the Huggies guy, right? He, could, he couldn't do anything that was going to be family oriented because of that. So I think that ruined more than half of the endorsement capabilities um, that he could that he could get be a part of sports wise. He would never really lost those endorsements. He could get those back, and you saw his career overall. Um, he was one of the original lockdown defenders that you could put on superstars and be able to leave them one-on-one and he would get into people's heads. And I think that's what really defined his career as a role player. Um, could a, could a franchise look at him and say, I'm going to take a chance and make him my face. They couldn't anymore because of that. And so, um, he was Ron Artest up until 2006. Is that right? Somewhere around there, somewhere around there. So, you know, don't quote me on that. Was it? I, I, it was somewhere in the 2000s. He was Ron Artest with the Rockets yeah, for sure, and that was through 2006. I felt like it, right? it could it could have been in around the 2012s actually. And I'm trying to think about it. It, it was it was it was with his run at in the 2010s. So yeah. Anyways, yeah. it's not important. The, the main thing is though is that is that I do think that it did prohibit some of his growing instance, so I can see where he gets the idea of it ruining his career, and I can agree with that take. Let's move on to the sixth hot take. Again, there's only 10, and, and there's nothing after this, so don't worry, guys. Stay with us. We're almost yeah, done here. <laughs> sixth take, you know, um, scouts are a dying position right now in baseball, and you're going to need a lot of numbers and analysts to really run your front office. A lot of panelists and a lot of panels had to face that question at the analytics conference. Um, I understand where they're coming from, right? With the numbers aspect, we're, we're crunching numbers on base percentage, slugger percentage. Um, you know, we're watching how pitchers slowly fatigue. Is there an, is, is the scouting position a dying position? And I'll start with you, Steve. Um, do you feel like scouts are kind of going away right now in baseball? Baseball? Yeah, probably. I'd, I'd say they're going away a little bit in baseball. The other sports, like a sport like football, you, you're not going to do it with your analytics. You're not the nerds, I guess. They're not going to win. It with like it, you can't moneyball football. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I think at least baseball is heading towards a direction with the analytics. Do so I think that is good for the sport? Not necessarily. Um, to me, they are. Um, it's easier in the other sports because you basically have all your scouting condensed. So they bring the top 500 yeah. players to one place, all the leagues there, they watch them, they see what they like, they see what they don't like. Um, in baseball, I do think it's changing. Like the old school scout, the guy sitting in the crowd with a radar gun, chewing on a cigar, that day is over. Um, you know, I, I think it's going to more, you know, how a person did in a situation instead of overall. Um, you know, that, that's, that they're looking for specialization now, say more major than they are. Oh, Hey, this is a five tool guy. Everybody knows a five tool guy is a five tool. You, everybody's yeah, looking yeah. for the guy that could come in in the seventh inning with guys on second and third and get the out. That's the guy they're looking for. So I think it, I, I'll start it, but I think it's changing, not going on. The only reason I would sit this topic is because um, you still need to look at some of the intangible things of a player. Um, just to piggyback on what Paul is saying, um, 
not only the aspect of, okay, how is his chemistry with the team? Um, I, I like to quote draft day. I hate qu- quoting a movie, but you look on draft day, he said, nobody showed up to your birthday party. Why? Some of those things where you kind of get, okay, does he mesh with people? Is he, is he a team player? Those come into big regards when it comes to baseball, especially in baseball. I mean, with the Astros situation, how could the Astros be going what they did if they weren't close knit? Right. I mean, they'd be falling apart easily. And, and, um, that's taking analytics way too extreme. And so when you, when you think about, um, some of those things also, you know, body language, like when you're on the court in a, in a losing situation, how do you, how do you see what a guy's doing in the dugout? How do you see those are things that are immeasurable. And so those aspects, I think you still need scouts. I think it's heavy on analysts, but you still need the scouts for those. Um, again, somebody would argue, okay, we'll just look at game film. Right. Okay. Yeah. But there's still not a measurable to it. You'll still need a scout to understand, um, have that experience. So more to come on that take later on, I'm sure as MLB starts kicking off, let's stay in baseball real quick and talk about, um, batters. So Bill James, a famous MLB, former GM consultant analyst does plenty of studies. If you haven't heard of him, look up his things. Um, we were lucky enough to hear two panels with him and he was fantastic. He said one thing that would help baseball spark some life into baseball is if you move the batter back two inches off the plate. It makes for more reach. It allows more balls to go into play or change the thickness of the bat. So I want to ask you guys, which one do you start? Which one do you sit or do you start both or do you sit both? Move the batter two inches off the plate or make the thickness of the back uh, a little bit thinner. You got your guys' takes. I'm going to start with you, Paul. Uh, I, I like the thickness bat uh you know we're looking they're looking for contact quicker innings you know i feel like with the with moving them two inches off the plate the guys have been feeling with that the, i mean the entire time if you draw a line they cross it like um so you know with the equipment at least it's all standardized you know taking care of that way um I, I, I like that idea. I, I think I would start that. I would start the equipment and I would sit. Yeah, I'm gonna ride off right with you. Said I, I, I start the equipment. The actual change in the thickness of the bat, I think, is a pretty good idea. We we've been saying for a while they, they got to change something in the MLB. They have to do something about it. I, and like that was a great point you have. You give them a line, they they gonna cross it. Again, look at the Astros. And so I'm going to um, I'm going to sit both of them. I don't think you need to change either of those. If anything, you need to change how many games you play, which comes to a revenue situation. Um, I know I didn't give you guys that option, but that's the only thing I think you could change in baseball or add time clocks to everything like they do in other sports. We can regulate how much time is take because the games take way too damn long. Um, and so that, that would be my only two things. We're going to fire around these last three takes here. We're just going to give a starter sit real quick so we can get to our biggest topic and then give you guys an update on where we're traveling in the next few months. Um, our eighth take, which is going to be a fire round. The Rooney rule is a broken system right now in football. Let me start off with you, Steve. Ah, uh, I, I got to ride the bench. I, I, I can't say it's a broken rule yet. I'm going to start it. Um, I, I, I don't think somebody like Eric Bieniemy got a fair shake this year. I, I really don't. Uh, 
just a quick so just leave it started yeah kudos to scott pioli for leading the discussion former nfl consultant um but i think diversity and inclusion is very big in NFL front offices, I think it is broken right now. Not enough ethnicity in our front offices, not enough women in our front offices. Um, and I'm a big proponent on giving an equal playing field. And right now it's not there. Do I think we're generations away from there being equal representation in candidates? Yes. And I'll give my hot take later on that when we have more time. Let's go to our ninth take. Only 52, a fun fact with this, and a kudos, a shout out to uh, J.A. Adonde. Thank you so much for retweeting us in this segment. Uh, we are watching the panel talking about statistics of the NFL draft. So let me kind of go into that. So only 52% of players are picked correctly compared to the players that are picked before them. So if you had the 10th pick um, and you chose a player, only 52% of the time was the next player who they chose after you um, not as good. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So um, 56% overall. So for every round, that was just, the 52% was just the first round. So is the NFL getting drafting right? Because technically it's a coin flip right now, right? You can coin flip and pick a better player at this point if it's only a 52, 56%. So I'm going to ask the question to y'all. Do you feel like players are getting selected correctly based on system? Um, or is that, that number skewed because they're comparing two talents? I'll start with. Uh, to me. It's a very hard question to ask because if you would have put, you go back and what if at all the time, like if Ryan Leaf didn't go to San Diego, different. Peyton ends up in San Diego. What does it look like? Um, it's a very hard to say. Um, but I am going to start it to an extent because a lot of these teams, we see it every year. The same teams are drafting towards the top of the draft. It, it, this isn't. Uh, you know, they talk about parity and this and that, but look in year in, year out. Top 10 are virtually the same except mixed up. So, started. Yeah, I started, but uh, kind of like you said, I think it depends on really what team. Like a, a team like New England, yes, I think they draft the right guys and they put the guys into the right position to be successful. A team like the Cleveland Browns or the Washington Redskins, not a chance. There's a reason they are, they are where they are. Yeah, I'm going to sit it. Um, I don't think it's going to be a hot topic, number one, for that kind of reason. But I do think that we are um, not looking at the big picture. Whereas if the Dallas Cowboys need a receiver, a cornerback, and a safety, but they choose a player worse than the next team that chooses because we didn't need that position, I didn't. we didn't really dive into the weeds of that. And, and so we need to see more to that analysis. I wanted to make sure we talked about it because I thought it was an interesting fact that if you flipped a coin on who's next on the board, you could pick it right half the time if you were an NFL GM. And that just blows my mind if you just take that step by itself. Last but not least, for this for this uh, starter sit segment, we're going to go into the last panel that we were able to watch together. And that's talking about the current NBA and how it's evolving to the future. Uh, we watched Sue Bird and Danilo Gallinari kind of talk on this panel with RC Buford and, and talk about the future of the game and really enjoyed that panel. Um, now Danilo, Danilo Gallinari was worried that unskilled centers won't have a role in this league come 10 years down the road. Sue Bird was worried that shorter players have an, have actually an opportunity to get thrown out of the league because as more skilled bigger men start being three and D what's the point of having shorter players if you can play three and five three and D wings at a positionless in a positionless roster if they can all dribble like Giannis Antetokounmpo and Kevin Durant so I'm going to ask you guys 
Um, don't have to do a starter sit. Just give me your take. Which one's more of a threat? Shorter players not having a role on these teams or unskilled centers getting phased off? And I'll start with you, Paul. I mean, it's definitely unskilled centers. Uh, you know, I, I don't think the height would matter if you can break people down off the I think we'll always have a place in the league if you turn their, you know, defender around or handle the But if you don't have any skill and you're standing in the you're already obsolete. Not 10 years from now, today, you're obsolete. Teams are not coming to get your, you know, coming to get an unskilled center. You have to be able to either move the ball or adapt like Lopez, right? All of a sudden, he can shoot threes, you know, at, at a pretty good clip. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, I, I gotta say, on the unskilled center, um, I just like you said, they're obsolete now. Like they've always an unskilled big man has pretty much to me always been obsolete. You go back to the days of Wilt Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Shaquille O'Neal. While they had flaws in their game, you can never say they weren't skilled. I, I did, and like you said, I mean, the small guys can make moves, cross you up, there will always, always be a place in basketball for a guy like Allen Iverson. So, yeah, absolutely, unskilled big men. So when I have to think about what's at more risk, uh, unskilled big man not having the outside game, that, that is definitely true. That's a tough take to say that'll be phased out in the future. Um, Sue really made me think because – I started thinking, okay, if you had the option of having LeBron, prime, prime LeBron, prime Giannis, prime KD over prime Harden, prime Westbrook, prime CP3, just for the lack of me not having any sort of diversity in thought, then trying to compare those three, who do I want? And I'm going to take the skilled big men who can shoot and drive the ball more than the skilled uh, guard play. If I could choose those three. Now, maybe I'm in the minority with that, but I think defensively, the three big men who can shoot the ball and drive the ball and can defend would have more productivity than the other three without having any statistical knowledge of comparing to three, just thinking from the eye test. So, I mean, I can crunch those numbers. We can come back on a different segment and talk about it. But maybe shorter players have a, have a voice here because, yes, um, like they were saying, you know, Kevin Durant and Giannis Antetokounmpo, they were taught to face the basket, learn how to dribble, create the space. That's where shorter players are taught because you don't have the extra uh, genetics to help you be just a guy that drives and dunks. I'm not trying to quote Harden, but I mean, essentially what they're getting at. So um, is a very interesting take. I'm going to pick the unskilled center because I think centers will be phased out. If you don't get that outside game, Brooke Lopez is a fantastic example. David Lee is another example. PJ Tucker developing a corner three is another example. Um, Daniel Tias is another yeah. example. I mean, he can shoot from the outside. So, um, you know, just a lot of guys, uh, I think even Enos Cantor to be, uh, for that. Right? Uh, and he's just a flopper. He's just a flopper. I, I, and, and Enos, I did, I did bump into you. Bumped in the game. I am going to call you out on it because obviously it takes more than just a hard bump. No offense to you. I'm just saying, I now know how hard you can take a flop. Yeah. yeah. I'm just, I'm just saying. Um, but that ends our start and sit segment. So we're going to come to our last and final topic, which was our favorite research topic of the conference. We want to give a shout out and kudos to 
this topic, changing the five positions of basketball to nine positions in basketball. And so if you weren't able to watch that that research paper get presented, let us just give you what the nine proposed changes of a pos- positionless system would be in the NBA. You have the high usage guard, which would fit players like James Harden into that category. You have the stretch forward, which would fit players like Danilo Gallinari and Kevin Durant. You have the three-point shooting guard, which would fit players like J.J. Redick and Clay Thompson. You have the traditional center, which would fit the Dwight Howards, the DeMarcus Cousins of the world. You would have the versatile role player, which is the Trevor Arizas. Um, anybody else in that role? Of course, Rockets players are coming to my head. Uh, Meta World Peace would fit in that role. You have the floor general, which goes to Chris Paul. Um, and the mid-range big, which is the Pau Gasols, to show some age there. Um, the skilled forward, which would be the Giannis Antetokounmpo's, and then a ball-dominant forward, which would be the LeBron James. So um, what this research paper presented from those nine positions were that if you fit the current NBA style the last 10 years, 98% of the players actually fit their position, whereas in their five-position players, only about 25% fit. So a huge difference that showed a representation of the current rosters and how teams could build that out. You could have two or three per position and kind of see what what the lineup uh, domination would be to that or how that how that uh, chemistry built. Um, did you guys want to add anything to that at all? Well, for me, we're uh, we already seeing it with the Rockets. Uh, they're making teams like the Jazz with Gobert. He's an unplayable. He's unplayable. Like when they play the Rockets, it's a problem. Um, this has been trending this way for a long time. So, ninety-eight um, percent is probably fairly accurate. I mean, I feel like we don't even have a starting five anymore. You can't really say, "Oh, this guy's a, tri- this guy's a, tri- yeah, this guy's a three. Like, I, I don't think we've been saying that for over five years now. Yeah, I think the NBA has been uh, pretty, pretty positionless for a while. Uh, like, you know, even you look at like the point guard position you mentioned, like uh, Chris Paul. You know, point guards back in the day used to just be about, uh, you know, really just about moving the ball up and down the court. Like, it, you don't have a point guard like a, like a Steve Nash at, anymore in the NBA. You have a, like, you have your Steph Curry is probably the best point guard in the NBA when he's healthy. Well, I, not to knock his passing, but see, you know, Steph for his shooting. You don't know Steph because he's down there diamond it around like white chocolate with Tanette's uh, like Steve Nash. It's red. So it's always been positionless for a while. I mean, if I have to think of point guards that are that are are selfless, that are really the four generals, I think of Chris Paul, I think of Steve Nash, Jason Kidd, John Stockton, Pistol Pete. I mean, you can go back and back and back, and you can name guards that were very good at passing that also scored too. I'm not going to disregard AI and Steph and yeah, Russell yeah. Westbrook and and players that are fantastic. But um, I, I loved the nine positions. Somebody asked him, "Did you try to fit five of these positions?" And it said it only represented about sixty-two percent. I was like, "No, yeah, keep the nine. Keep yeah. the nine positions." I'd love to see the NBA adopt something like this. So kudos to them. I don't want to disclaim names in case they were underage or there's something of that nature. So just kudos to them at the conference. If you didn't see, it, you can see it on on a replay. But let's kind of talk about into the lab and about our first live episode. Wonderful to be talking with you guys, meeting them in person. Everybody, take a picture. 
<laughs> and so we're really excited to be um, talking together. We fit just like a glove when we met, and and I was excited to meet you guys here at the conference. Um, into the lab, we'll be traveling though. We'll be live again next month, right? We'll be at the NFL draft. We may meet some of you there at the NFL draft if you're going out there in Las Vegas. So join us out there. Um, if you can't, we'll be back in Vegas for the NBA playoffs. We'll be talking to live better, seeing what their hot takes are, what the trends are um, in May. And then in June, we'll be going baseball. So we'll be traveling up to Seattle. Uh, you know, hashtag coronavirus if you don't keep us away. But we'll be traveling up to Seattle and seeing the Astros taking on the Mariners. Um, and seeing those live takes, the booze coming from the fans, some of the tailgates that go on, what those hot takes are, uh, maybe some Astros fans, maybe we can get some trash can banging. So we're excited about that. And then after that, you don't know, the world is our oyster. Just keep a lookout for us. Follow us on www.thesportgene.com. Follow me at the sport gene at Reisner underscore Steven at steel curtain P E H. You can follow both of um, their podcasts, slightly biased and uh, Puckleheads, right? Yeah. So excited about Puckleheads. Follow at Blue Collar Media Group, at Blue Collar MG, or at BCS Radio Network, and you'll find any, anything we put out. Absolutely getting there, Steve. So when we talk about uh, – and, Paul, did you want to say something as well? Yeah, no, uh, just real excited for the, for the new show. Um, learned a lot from Ernest, so uh, we're trying to put that out there, uh, trying to get a little angel action in there. So um, do you hear it? Just give us a listen. You know, we do our best to represent you, the people, when it comes to doing this, going to conferences, speaking with media members, trying to get those hot takes to bring out, you know. And so we invite all other media members, large or small or sports podcasts, come join us on ITL. Be part of the mission on the Blue Collar Sports Radio Network to debate, share hot takes, and do what we love the most, right? Talk sports. So hard work, strong takes, and entertainment to your ears. The Blue Collar Sports Network, Radio Network, is here for you. So with our mothership acknowledged, we appreciate all your support. Hashtag ELM, that equals every listen matters. We want our show to continue and be part of your Thursday mornings and Monday morning for this week going forward. So listen to our episodes, share our social platforms, leave a review, and promote to others as well. We only grow as your support does for us. I was your host, Ernest Silva, on behalf of everyone this morning or this evening if you're watching live. We hope your favorite teams win and all your bets hit for this uh, upcoming Sunday and rest of the week. We'll see you guys next Thursday. Have a great day, everybody. That was a good time. Yeah. I think we did yeah. a pretty good show, too. Yeah. I didn't smoke one cigarette for yeah, the entire say, yeah. say you went. You went. Episode there when they're sick. This is huh? a weird episode. I, I almost got up halfway through and fucking went downstairs to talk to guys from the elevator. <laughs> like this dude. Uh, He's useless. I, I go, I go in looking for someone to join us on the fucking show, and it's like, oh, hey, I'm talking about Raw. I haven't tagged you guys in anything, but yeah. come check me out. <laughs> the camera is oh, hilarious. Oh, that was that was on there. It's hilarious. God, I got to take a picture of this. So, so when we're talking at the LA conference today, I'll be like, "Hey guys, if you don't think you could do it, this is the very first time I set up a." Oh.
You've been listening to analysis from around the NFL and NBA on the Sports Genes Into the Lab podcast. Send your questions on www.thesportgene.com or on the Anchor app. And follow the Sports Gene on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Overtime Heroics today.